Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Dr. Lori Bouchard. Dr. Lori is an author, an entrepreneur, and licensed naturopathic doctor. She is the author of Live Longer and Stronger with Breast Cancer and Cancer Doesn't Own You, endorsed by U.S. presidential candidate and seven times New York Times bestselling author, Marianne Williamson. They are step-by-step guides to help fight cancer more effectively. She consults internationally and is the owner of Ontario's most innovative naturopathic healing center, Inside Health Clinic, running virtual and in-clinic retreats, which have been helping men and women reverse complicated diseases such as Lyme, chronic fatigue, Hashimoto's, and infertility for over a decade. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Dr. Lori, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, Dr. Lori. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm so looking forward to our conversation, and it's been a long time coming. Yes. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation as well. So first, I would just love to hear a little bit about you and and what led you to work with cancer survivors. Sure. Yeah. So it was very unintentional, actually. After I graduated from natural medical school, I saw my first cancer patient and was not, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit uh, thrown off. You know, he was in a wheelchair and he was told he has a month to live. His wife was right beside him and saying, you're kind of like our last resort. They were told if you, if you, he had one more chemotherapy session, he, they would kill him. So they ran out of options. There's nothing else you can do. And I was just his last resort. So, you know, when you start talking to someone after a cancer diagnosis and given no other options, you start wondering, okay, like what is, what has your diet been like? What have your bowels been like? Let's start with the foundational things of what have you been doing? And this patient specifically thought he was so healthy his entire life, you know, did everything right. And then I got cancer and then, you know, did all the right things that my doctors told me to do. And now there's nothing left. But as you know, what we think is normal and healthy may not be normal and healthy. And so he ended up telling me what his diet was like, a lot of barbecuing, a lot of, you know, just like around a lot of chemicals, a lot of stress. Um, Diet was horrible. Like, I mean, it was a standard American diet. And if he drank a lot of water, probably not, you know, so a lot of things that were just off. And so at that point, I ended up 
traveling all over the world, learning about what do these other cancer clinics do that help people to live a longer and healthier life. And so with him, he was um, extremely toxic after all of the chemotherapies that he did. His metals were through the roof. He was extremely anemic. His hemoglobin could not go above 90. He was in this wheelchair, completely slumped over. We started with just like complete basic stuff. He was in the clinic actually every day at that point, doing different IVs and mistletoe, nutrition, getting more, just more things into his body health-wise. And he ended up living a decade longer. So it was really him that transformed the way that I look at cancer from this very doom and gloom, scary disease to, wow, it's really just about building health. It's about how can we build your healthy cells? How can we build your immune back? How can we build your healthy microbiome? And for him, he was a walking advertisement for me. I used to pay hundreds of dollars to be in the local newspaper and, you know, put my picture into the, you know, spend all this money. But he was just like walking around saying like, I should have been dead. If you have cancer, you need to see her. I should have been dead. If you need. So I ended up building this massive cancer clinic and without really even thinking like, oh my gosh, am I now a naturopath that focuses on cancer? I guess I am. Like that's <laughs> kind of what happened. <laughs> that is great. And what kind of cancer did he have? muscle myeloma and T-cell lymphoma. So he had two different types of blood and lymph cancers. And it was um, a, a long journey. He was, yeah, he fought like anything else. And it's interesting because over the years, I see a lot of common um, threads with people who have a cancer diagnosis, who've been kind of been told, you know, there's nothing else you can do. I seem to be that niche now of like, everyone else has given up on me. Like, what else can we do? And there's a huge faith component to it. So with him specifically, he, um, he said, I'm not ready to go. I will do everything to stay alive. I believe in a higher power. Like I'm okay. I'm not scared of death, but I just don't think it's my time. And so when I talk to other patients too, who just feel like I'm meant to be on this earth longer, there's got to be more I can do and they don't give up. So there's this um, awareness that we have this inner ability to heal and to build strength. And no matter what everyone tells them, like so many doctors give this doom and gloom saying you have a month to live and <laughs> you're going to die by December. And it's like, if you know that is not true in your heart and your soul, then you do not believe to any doctor who seems to have this, this wisdom, which really comes out of, I'm not sure where. So yeah, so it's really important to have that faith and every patient that I've seen, um, they're super eager to be alive and do everything possible, which is very exciting to work with. Oh, that is so great. I agree completely. You need to have that, that will and that desire. And, you know, the changes aren't always easy, right? I mean, it's not just less stress, you know, you have to look at your diet and all these other things. Exactly. And that's why over the years, I've created more of a group, a metabolic group for patients who are just super overwhelmed by the process. So we meet every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And we just go through the commonly asked questions because I was getting to a point where I'm like, oh, if I talk about ketones and fasting and, you know, answering the same questions over and over. I'm just going to like, I don't know, I had to just <laughs> make a decision in my own practice, but there's a lot of information. So I found a group setting to answer those questions. And even today, like going through different chemicals that we can replace in our house home. So, or our household. So like uh, cleaning supplies and body products, like things that we can just switch over that a lot of people had no idea that they're pouring these chemicals into their system on a daily basis. So 
kind of fun to have this in a group atmosphere where we can all support each other and learn more without as much of that overwhelm of, oh, I have to do this all on my own. Yeah, that is so great. So is that what those retreats are when you say you do an in-person and a online retreat? Yeah. So the in-clinic is more of like a accelerated. These are for the people who are um, just feeling really ill, don't have the energy to do much, or they just want like a reset. And the one week where we have them in the clinic, we literally do it all for you. So it would be from like nine to five, a full day for Monday to Friday. We say, here, drink this here, do this. Like this is go in for this treatment. And so it's back to back things to help repair and regenerate. And then yes, they can go into those weekly calls for more maintenance and for support, but it's when there's um, the body so inflamed in a cancering process or even post-cancer treatments anywhere along the journey, it's really hard to take on a whole lifestyle switch when you feel like garbage. Right. And so the in-clinic is really just to support, like give you that inertia, like that momentum to keep things, to kind of like say, oh, wow, I'm feeling a little bit better. Maybe I will have the motivation now to go for a walk or to make this salad or whatever it could be, right? Just to kind of switch your mindset to say, my body can do this and I can feel a lot stronger. That is so great. It just sounds so helpful because I know people need that handholding at first, you know, they're not sure what to do and if they could just come to the clinic and get everything done for them. And like you said, feel better to do things on their own. Exactly. And we'll test, we'll do all the blood tests and we'll check ketones on day one and glucose. So we have all of these, the objective data to see where they're at. And by day five, it is so incredible. Their ketones are through the roof. Their glucose is a lot more stabilized. Even inflammation markers like ESR and CRP drastically come down within five days. So when people say like, oh, natural healing takes so long, it's like, well, we can do things differently, but it, it's not easy. Like the people that do these five days, it's it's work, even though you don't really have to do any of the work, it's your body is changing over and the whole metabolic system is changing. So it is a five, like any anyone can do anything in five days, I think. Yes, I completely agree. And just to give you all context, Dr. Lori is a metabolic trained practitioner under Dr. Nisha Winters. And I'm actually currently training to be a metabolic trained advocate to help support patients with this metabolic approach to cancer. So I'd love just to hear, you know, you, you talked about ketones. I know a lot of the audience doesn't really know what that is. Do you mind just going into a little bit of detail on that? Sure. Yeah. And so basically when you think of health, we think of energy, right? Like we think of, okay, this person has so much energy. They must be healthy or the opposite. Oh, they're always tired. They would need to sleep 15 hours a night. They must not be so healthy because they're always just so tired. So that's kind of like a very kindergarten way to think of health, right? And when you think of what gives our body energy, there's two main systems. The first one is through glucose, and we're using that glucose to make produce energy from the mitochondria. So it's we're taking in the glucose to produce ATP, and it's giving us our fuel to keep going. So that's one way. And so we think about, you know, even like fruits, vegetables, breads, all of that is a form of glucose. The other way that our body makes energy, and this is evolutionary speaking, you think of like 
back in the day when people wouldn't eat for five days because they're hunting and gathering and they have to go into this starvation mode, our bodies are evolutionally primed to make these ketones, which are an alternate source of fuel. So we make these ketones from fat and our liver processes them to produce these ketones for energy. And cancers cannot grow from this ketone fuel. So it's a very clean, think of like gasoline. That's like really the lowest grade gasoline. And it just has a lot of byproducts and it's not the cleanest thing. So that would be like the glucose and um, sugars. But then the cleanest, like premium source of fuel would be these ketones. And that's what it, how our body functions best, actually, is when we're able to have the energy from these ketone bodies. And so we get that from the fats that we are taking in. So olive oil, coconut oil, MCT oil, seeds, and having just more of the fatty fish, all of those are really important to make ketones. And like I said, from a cancer perspective, you want glucose to be as low as possible and your ketones to be as high as possible. And this is when you feel like so much energy. If you've ever talked to anyone who's done a fast, whether it's a three-day fast, four-day fast, they feel amazing. Like their body is mental clarity, physical energy is feeling so good that they don't want to go back to having meals. I mean, you miss actually chewing and the social part of it, but the actual, like what your body fuels off of and feeds off of these ketones, you can't, you can't beat that. So when your glucose is low, it kind of switches gears and allows your body to go into this alternate source of fuel. And the other part of that is when your glucose is low, so is your insulin, which is a growth factor. And all like IGF-1, uh, insulin is low, glucose is low, hemoglobin A1C goes low. So all the things that are like pushing growth and proliferation in the body is at a lower set point. So even that alone, even without the ketones, you're doing your body a massive favor from a cancering perspective. Well, thank you. That is so helpful. And I just, it made me think of autophagy. If you don't mind just explaining that, because I know, you know, people are talking about doing intermittent fasting. A lot of, I'm hearing a lot of it now, and I've been doing it for a long time, but does that get you into autophagy or do you have to fast for three days or how does that work? And what is autophagy? So for people that don't know. Yeah. And so autophagy is think about that as like, um, I don't know, back in the day that, you know, those little Pac-Man games where they would like just kind of clean up and little Pac-Man and they have um, in our system, we're fueled to detox and to clean up. So we have these little Pac-Man and like regenerating new healthy cells when like the older cells are ready to go or they're damaged and kind of like a recycling system. And so when your body is fasting for a certain period of time. And they say anywhere from 13 hours is when this process of autophagy happens. So it's a very natural process. You don't even know that it's happening because their body's constantly just regenerating and getting rid of old stuff. And so after 13 hours is when this starts to happen. And they say about 72 hours is when max autophagy happens. So if you're able to do a three-day water fast or just like nothing that would spike your glucose or spike insulin, then that is one of the best ways to detox your system. So it's really fueling where it's like getting rid of old stuff that doesn't belong there and you're generating healthy new cells. Perfect. And how many times a year are you supposed to do like a three-day fast? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I, I mean, I don't think there's one answer to that because everyone's so different. I know for myself, I do that at least three times a year around like every uh, season change. But for me, I've never had cancer. I don't have any other like chronic disease. Like there's, I'm really doing it more for prevention. So if you're on a preventative scale, then I'd say three to four times a year, you could do that. 
Some people do really well with a 24 hour fast just once a week where they feel really good, like every Monday. And I try to do that. Um, or even if it's like a 20 hour fast, just to kind of like reset the system. Um, or if I know that I was just on vacation and I feel not so great and I do want to reset my system, I'll just kind of like start weaning off the carbs and I'll start maybe go to like two meals in the day. I'll just like slim down a couple things and then go into a three day fast and I'm all set, good to go. So I do think it's any time that you start to feel more sluggish and you can be very intuitive with this where you're like, Oh, I have some brain fog. I feel, you know, some sleep issues, just feeling, I don't have that get up and go anymore. Those are really good signs that you need to reset your system and to recharge. So the people who say like every month, 72 hours, I'm going to do this. You kind of like set yourself up to think like, Oh, I really, I want to eat. So I don't want to do it anymore. So I, I think from that point of view, it's better just to say like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling sluggish. I feel like this should be the time. Yeah. So for people that come to you that are maybe just diagnosed with cancer, and I don't know how many people you see like that, but what is a typical intake? What do you do with them when they first come to you? Yeah. So when uh, someone is first diagnosed, the most important thing is to get a full assessment of what is actually going on in their body and what has led them to this state. So this could take up to two hours where sometimes actually longer, where I'm really detailing the nitty gritty of how their nervous system is functioning. What are their traumas, like early childhood traumas, how that has affected them today. Um, Toxicity, looking at their genetics, doing the full blood work panel. It's over 50 sets of blood work where we're just really finding like where they are in the, in their stages of cancer. And so there's basically like two different phases. There's the anaerobic um, part of cancer and then the dysaerobic. So anaerobic is more related to like early, like stage one, stage two, where there's a lot of growth going on in the system. So you think about like um, anaerobic growth, right? So Or it could be more in the later stages where it's more like catabolic, where it's a lot of breakdown in the system. Usually that's when someone's like inflammation levels are way through the roof and oxidative therapies like chemo and radiation would just make them way worse because their whole body's already so inflamed. So I really look at like, where are they in this cancering spectrum? Because even if it's a new diagnosis, they could have been cancering for 10 years and not even know it. They could have had their blood work done maybe like five years ago and been like, yeah, you're within the normal. We think it's fine. But we know that most cancers do take about 10 years to even feel the lump or to feel what's going on. So that history is extremely important. And then if they have any types of biopsies, I actually prefer the liquid biopsies where we could get a lot of genetic information and looking at the, what's called the KI 67 score, looking at like the proliferation rate. So We want to know how aggressive is this cancering process as well. So if something is moving really fast, you need to have more aggressive therapies versus something that's like, okay, it's a low proliferation rate, very slow growth, likely been here for many, many years, then it's a different plan of action. So it's really that assessment is so important before anyone does any therapies. Like you have to kind of set the groundwork of this is where we are now. Let's see what all of our options are and then choose a path to go forward. Great. Now, I'm learning more and more that cancer has to do with mitochondrial dysfunction. I know you mentioned the mitochondria. So I would love you just to explain that a little bit more for for people who who don't really understand what that is. Okay. Yeah. So 
back in, uh, well, I want to say it was, when was the President Nixon talking about like the war on cancer? Oh, right. The 70s, right? Yeah. So it wasn't too long ago. I mean, it was still... 30 or 40 years ago. Anyway, so back then is when they thought it was purely somatic, a somatic genetic disease. So they felt like, okay, if cancer was in your family and, you know, if your grandmother had it, your mother had it, or dad, like you were destined to get it. And there was just no other reason why cancer happens. And then even like dating prior to that, they thought like back, this is back in like the Greek times, they thought that cancer was like um, punishment from the higher gods saying like, I mean, so there's so many theories on why cancer happens. And can you imagine being like quarantined or being punished because you got cancer thinking like, oh my God, this is, and I actually hear this quite a bit, even to this day. So there must be some generational things being carried on. Cause they think like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, why did this cancer come? Like I've done everything right. And I don't understand. Like, I feel like I'm being punished. And it's a very interesting perception, right? When to think like this, a disease just kind of like entered your body and it's like, mm, it just happened. It's nothing to do with anything else. So anyways, the metabolic theory to cancer. And again, these are all theories. And I strongly believe there's a little bit of everything up except for the punishment part, obviously, but there is genetic. I mean, 10% of cancers are genetic, the BRCA1, BRCA2, you're going to be five times more likely to have a cancer diagnosis in someone that doesn't have that genetic component, but doesn't mean that is you're destined to, to get cancer if you have that genetic predisposition. So I want to make that really clear because a lot of people think like, oh, I have the ATM mutation. So, you know, it makes sense. I'm just going to have cancer but it's not true. There's so much that we can do to change the epigenetics and how these genes are turned on. So when they look at the mitochondrial, why cancer is happening, it's actually so much damage to the mitochondria from stress, from pollution, toxicity, glyphosates, the pesticides, herbicides, literally anything that can create oxidative stress exercising too much, even, you know, putting so much stress on our body physically can actually create more damage to our mitochondria and turn these oncogenes on. So it's actually the damage to the mitochondria that comes first and then it affects our genetics. So we have a lot of power in this situation. And that actually, some people think like, okay, well, I caused my cancer then it's like, well, a lot of people just don't know, right? Like, even look at the chemicals on your body wash and your perfumes and all of that. It's like, why is this allowed everywhere? All of this is directly damaging our mitochondria. So it's it's really unfortunate that our world is created like that, where we have all these things where, you know, wonder the rates of cancer, one of every two people, right? And they're only going to go higher from here just because of all of the GMO stuff and the, the chemicals and the processed stuff. And even I was looking at my, um, one of my daughters, she's gluten-free and she can't have gluten just because she gets just a lot of like bloating and digestive issues. And you know how hard it is to find clean gluten-free products. They have like potato starches and like all these processed canola oils and gar like rice shit right? <laughs> and rat shit in there. <laughs> and they're like, how are you supposed to build health and lower inflammation on these diets that seem so uh, limiting. So it is very tough, but it, and it is everywhere, but it is 
possible. We can, we can choose healthier options, make a lot of our own foods, but we have to just do the best we can get our labs checked regularly, know our genetic makeup to know, okay, what are we more predisposed to? Like maybe we have really poor detoxing pathways or Maybe our body doesn't metabolize cortisol as well. So we need to do more anti-stress things and just kind of understanding our body on that cellular level. So we can create a lifestyle that you feel really good and you're feeling strong. So it is a lot about knowledge and how we can protect our precious mitochondria to not have this inflammatory effect and turning on these cancer cells. That's so helpful. And, and that's why you're looking at the whole terrain and, and, those things like what you put on your body and the stress and the relationships and the toxicities. So there's so much involved. And I think people, you know, want this one quick fix, you know, you just do this and it will go away, but it, it takes time and effort. Yeah, I totally get that. And even as a kid, my mother raised me very naturally and I would get so mad at her because my friends could just go to the doctors and get antibiotics and they could go and just get a pill and feel better. I'm like, mom, why do I have to drink all this water and chlorophyll water? And like, why am I putting bean sprouts in my soups? Like, that's so gross. Why do I have to do all this work when my friends can just take a pill? And so you you know that we've all just been conditioned that way, that one pill will just kind of like cover it up, right? But we don't see it as covering it up. You think of it like, oh, the symptom's gone, so I must be healthier, right? Like our perception of health is skewed right from the beginning. And so for me, I um, I had kind of a, a reverse effect where I was like shoved down the throat of vitamins all, all the time. And it was only till later in like high school where I'm like, okay, maybe the fact that I'm not really sick, I still have my appendix, I still have my tonsils, all these things. Like maybe my mom, you know, knew a few things about health. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish I was raised like that, you know, <laughs> but that wasn't the norm. Yeah. And I mean, every, I strongly think every child kind of has their own perceptions of like why their parents were the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like at that time, I'm like, I'm the only one in my class having like sesame seeds in my snacks. Like, why can't I have roll-ups like everyone? So you think like you're just different and like, I'm the only one that, but you're right. Like, I'm super grateful for having a mom like that. Who's kind of just like ingrained. Our body is amazing and can do all of these things when it's given the right tools. So the tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 
or visit our website at thecarlfieldcenter.com. I just wanted to go back quickly because you said about traumas and that and the emotional piece. And I know stored emotions, if you don't let them out, they stay in your body. And I think that's one of the most challenging things to work with patients slash clients on. And I'm wondering how you approach that. Yeah, because that's definitely, um, you don't really go to school. When you go to med school, it's more of just the physiology and biologies, anatomies, all of that. It was about eight years ago, I had a patient tell me about her experience seeing a neuro-linguistic practitioner, and she does hypnosis as well. And before I refer anyone else to go to these amazing therapists, I need to go try it out myself just to see like, what is the experience? And I'm like, I don't have any traumas. I'm good. Like, I'm just going to see like with, you know, what she's all about. But it's really interesting what your body, what you kind of like store away and you push aside so you can just keep functioning. So a lot of things that you don't even think about on your day to day because you're so busy with everything else. When you think about, oh, wow, when I was five, this really affected me. And it actually makes sense why I act like this now or why this trigger bothers me and why I this exacerbates my heart rate and like why I feel so gross around this person or experience like you start learning about these different connections and how your early childhood it's really all just coping mechanisms and how to feel safe in this world that can be super chaotic and we all have that we all have triggers of like certain people certain situations personalities things where you're like oh that person said this and it really bothered me whereas someone else would be like Oh, they didn't mean anything by that. Like, what do you mean? And so when I started seeing this therapist, it was, like I said, purely just intrigued to know. And we, <laughs> we, I'm like, I'll just go once, you know, it was about like four or five sessions. So I'm like, Ooh, I've got lots of stuff hanging around in there. And we went into this like deep hypnotic state where she actually changed my whole experience with certain events. So things that were like extremely triggering, like just really like thinking back was really sad and made me like feel just like scared or feeling, you know, unworthy or unlovable, like all of those emotions. And so when we did this technique, it was really interesting where now I could be around these people and be like, hmm, that doesn't face me. Like it neutralized that. It just completely neutralized that emotion. So yeah, anybody who has this deep rooted trauma that doesn't want to um, or maybe they don't even know that it's there or they just, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, it's interesting to kind of like dig deep and you don't have to talk about it per se. Like talking about going to therapy every week may not be, you know, rehashing that might be really difficult. But to go in to see someone who does neuro-linguistic or NLP therapy, I found personally was really great. Mm, that is really neat. And I, I have I have heard of that, but I haven't heard of it for releasing these toxic emotions. I just heard about it. So that's great to know because I think people struggle with that a lot and they don't think they need help with it. 
Yeah. And even before the call, we were talking about plant medicines, right? Like certain plant medicines that can help you on a spiritual and emotional, anything that you're doing that's allowing you to reflect and say like, why do I act like this? Or what is important to me? What do I value? Like who, who am I even like, why do I do the things that we do? I found plant medicines to be extremely therapeutic in that way too. Just a lot of journaling, a lot of just like purging of stuff that did not belong in my body and super grateful for that experience too. So that could look different for everybody and what they choose to kind of go into that reflection mode and to purge. Some people it's like crying, just like get off your antidepressants and allow yourself to cry for a month. Like that could be the best medicine as well, right? Or screaming in the car. Some people can do that. Just like let it out, let your body purge on whatever way you need to. And that's, yeah, if your nervous system, extremely important. Yes. And when you say plant medicine, I mean, are you talking about herbal concoctions and mushrooms, those kind of things or? Yeah. Yeah. So psilocybin. Yeah. And, um, Cambo is another one. Ayahuasca would be another one. Bufo would be another. So like toad medicines, um, anything that's allowing you to, um, get like deeper into your system. So for me, my experience was very much things were just like, hello, here's my issues. Like right in my face. I have to do something about it. And so, um, yeah, anything that's kind of like bringing that to the forefront. And it's important that if you are doing any type of plant medicines like that or animal, like amphibian medicines um, in the jungle, wherever you are, you feel safe and you're with a shaman who you really trust. Because I have heard a lot of horror stories where they didn't, they weren't prepped properly or they didn't, you know, feel comfortable with the group that they're doing it with. And it could have a worsening outcome where they just feel like all these traumas were brought up and not dealt with properly. So yeah, just to go and do like an ayahuasca trip and, you know, feel like, oh, my life problems are going to be gone. It's actually could stir things up even more and be like, wow, I wasn't prepared to deal with all this stuff. So having the support around you and the team of people that can kind of go there with you and allow you to feel safe and process all of it, the aftermath is very important. Yes, I'm sure be with an expert for sure. Uh-huh. And I wanted to talk about your books. I know one is very recent, right? You published it pretty recently. Yeah. And if you could just go into that a little bit and what was the reasoning behind the books? And I know you mentioned at one point, a lot of questions that you got from, from people. Mm-hmm. And if you could just go into that, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So my second book, Cancer Doesn't Own You, I was really excited about that one because over the past 15 years of being in practice, I've had many people where they say, I do not want cancer to define me. I don't want that to be, I don't even want to tell people at work. I don't want anyone to know because then I'll be like looked at as that cancer patient. And that'll be the topic like, Oh, how are you? And you know, that victim of, they say, I don't want to be that person. And I do not want to be defined by this illness. So I'm really huge on building health, everything that you can do to look in the lens of health and building strength and feeding your body, getting down to really the foundational things of what makes your body strong, what makes your immune system strong to even produce these natural killer cells, recognize cancer and to have this apoptosis effect, right? So I try not to go into too much um, med school talk in this book. I go very basic of, okay, if I'm bloated, what should I do? 
if I have, um, you know, I get asked a lot of questions that people are like, oh, don't, you know, I feel really embarrassed asking this. Like if I have, um, you know, this odor in my vaginal area, like what does that mean? What do I do? So I answer a lot of questions that people are somewhat afraid to ask or embarrassed to ask. Um, and then a lot of times we don't even know, like, is this normal? Is this not normal? Like how often should I have a bowel movement? What should it look like? What can I do for my joint pains? It literally is 160 questions that I get all the time when it comes to cancer and healthy living and even like drug side effects. So a lot of people think like being on tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors that they just have to be like dealing with the hot flashes and the night sweats and the irritability and the joint pains and all things. So I give, it's not like a, it's not definitely not a diagnosis and it's not saying do this. If you have this, it's more understanding the whys and what you can consider what lab work you may want to look into just to really help empower you and educate you on your body and the things you can ask your doctor even like, or your integrative doctor. Okay. I read that you could maybe do this. Like, would this be applicable to my case and to my situation? So the awareness is huge and how to build health and want you to feel extremely empowered, just like your podcast is all about is empowering and feeling like you can have, like you can really have those resources right in front of you and have better um, questions to ask and better tools in your toolbox. Oh, I love that. So it's, it's great for anyone for prevention or someone going through cancer. Exactly. I think it should be a manual that every like grade five student has to learn about their body and their health. Like you need to know, like, why do we have lymph nodes? Like, why do they become inflamed? Oh, should we just cut out our tonsils when they're inflamed? Like, no, our body is trying to tell us something. So there is none. I don't think there's much education when it comes to health and our body growing up, right? Like we're all just told about oh, if you have a fever, take this to suppress it, right? But it's like, no, these fevers are important. Your body's immune system is sparking and we need to do that to fight infections. So yeah, it's really a manual for anybody that whether they have cancer or not, just to learn more about their body and day-to-day things. Like, like I said, from bloating to diarrhea, to dry skin, to even acne, any um, anything the body's trying to tell you to get more um, understanding of why it's why it's doing that. I love that because like you said, you get so embarrassed to ask your doctor some of these questions. So if that is great. Yeah. And a lot of questions came from my friends too. Like we're all approaching forties and they're like, is this normal? Like, what should I do for this? I'm like, that's going to go in the book. That's amazing. (laughs) Perfect. And just before we get into random run, I just want to ask you if there's any last advice that you want to leave the audience with before we get into random run. Yeah, I want to just put it out there that no matter where you are in the cancering process, and if you know a loved one that's been told, you know, you only have a month to live, there's nothing else you can do until they've exhausted every single resource and every single practitioner. I do not believe in that sentence that there's nothing else you can do. There's always more. There's always something else. So stay hopeful and keep searching, surround yourself with a loved, a loving team that has the best interest for you at heart and making sure that you just don't give up because there's so much that you can do to enjoy life. And every day is very precious. Ah, I love that so much. I I just interviewed someone who had a brain tumor, glioblastoma, and and everyone said, oh, you're not going to survive. And if if it goes away, it's going to come back. And she's like, I could be the one that that's not going to happen to. 
and she's been cancer free for years now. And it's just, it's so empowering. So just like you said, don't give up. Yeah. And I think too, like, it's okay. You know, when someone tells you that I can't even imagine someone telling you like that type of news and to hear a cancer diagnosis and then, oh, this is incurable and there's this and this. And it's okay to, you know, those stages of grief where it's like, first you're angry and then denial, and then you blame yourself and you go through all these things. But then once you get to the step five of acceptance, like, okay, this is what it is. And now let's create the action plan and go forward. So I think it's okay. And really important to go through that, like anger and, you know, like let yourself feel all the feels, but then get to the point of, okay, now let's take charge. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. That is so true. Now, are you ready for random round? Sure. Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is. Freedom to me is no one telling you what to do. (laughs) Having my own ability to do what I want with my body, with my anything in my life, have the choice to do that. The last show you binged and loved. Oh man, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I <laughs> I watch um The Bachelor. <laughs> I was wondering if you were gonna say that because I I do too. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but I get it. <laughs> it's just like a tune your brain off kind of moment. <laughs> so true. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? I either go into my car and cry. I'll have a crying session and just, you know, let myself have those ugly cries or um, journal. I like to get things on paper, anything that's like getting out of my body, out of my head, writing things down. That really helps. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? This is a, this is an interesting one. I would love to talk to anybody who has gone to the other side and passed away. I would love to know, where do you actually go? Like, are you watching over us? Like what's happening? Who like just an hour of like, what's going on on the other side? Uh, Have you ever read Anita Morjani's book? No. She had a near-death experience. I'm telling you, it it was a life-changing book. I need to write that down. Yes. Yeah. What is your favorite go-to snack? I know you probably don't snack too often, but what is your go-to snack? I know I have the uh, FTO snip. So my ghrelin is genetically very high. So I always think I'm hungry. Even after a meal, I'm like, what's in the cupboard? I know I'm not hungry, but I know there's something there. Um, So I would have, I love just like cucumber and nut butters, just, you know, dips and um, yeah, carrots and just boring old vegetables with dips. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? My children. I guess it's not simple. They're very complex, but yes, <laughs> they do. What is on your nightstand? What? Oh, my brain tap. It's a meditation device. What is your favorite form of exercise? Dancing. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? I'm grateful for this podcast and grateful for you for raising this awareness and having all these amazing guests and really spreading the word on natural healing. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And last, where can people find you if they want to learn more? 
So I have a YouTube channel as well as you can go to drlori.ca, the D-R-L-O-R-I.ca. I have a lot of free resources on there. And if you're interested in working with me and just understanding more about my approach, there's a free discovery call that you can schedule yourself into just to learn more how you can help yourself along this cancering crazy chaotic journey. Thank you so much, Dr. Lori. It was such a pleasure. And I know the audience is going to get so much value. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Haley. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, The sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.